0: Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. Sinex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network.
0: Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. I hope you're having a good day. There's a lot going on, and we are going to cover a lot of it today and for the next several days. Just so much to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk with Chuck Conder today, president of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. We're going to talk about efforts to reform the H-2A visa program and the overall immigration and and uh, ag labor issue also get his thoughts on what's in this stimulus package for agriculture jeff cooper president and ceo of the renewable fuels association will join us we have a lot of biofuels news to talk about including a push to get usda to help biofuels industry Uh, what's going on in canada with the proposal for their uh, clean fuel standard Uh, we have a study out of nebraska on e30 we have exports of ethanol headed out lots to talk about with jeff cooper all that coming up on today's program but let's start things off with todd neely with dtn todd there are slow news days and there are busy news days and this is a busy yeah. one
2: yeah absolutely you know we have a whole lot going on i mean i know that uh you know there's a lot of biofuels things as you mentioned uh, kind of in the hopper here and i think uh it's kind of interesting you know we started last year it wasn't quite so uh wasn't quite so promising but i think there's a lot of things on the horizon here that they're good.
0: Yeah I've I've covered the biofuels industry for years and years and years and there have been yeah. big peaks and, and big valleys throughout the history of the biofuels <laughs> industry. It does seem like now things are looking up again and we'll start with a study in your state of Nebraska on E30 that's very yeah. promising.
2: Yeah absolutely. Uh, you know EPA had approved uh, the state to, to go ahead and test E30 on state vehicles. There were about 50 vehicles that were tested Uh, Some ran on E15 and others ran on E30 for about a year. Um, You know, it's a small subset of vehicles. You know, it's uh, years 2013 to 2015, and they're primarily Dodge and Ford, uh, different models. Uh, The the bottom line of this study was that they really found no appreciable differences between the use of E15 in in vehicles and E30. And and we're talking about regular vehicles. These aren't flexible fuel vehicles that can take up the e 85 Uh, these are regular vehicles. In fact, they found that uh, these vehicles uh, systems were able to adjust to the E30 in terms of the oxygen level. You know, E30 has a higher oxygen level than E15. Um, So we'll see where that goes. I mean, you see this a lot when it comes to EPA looking at ethanol blends. Uh, You know, there's a number of demonstration projects that are done, and they kind of gather the science and the data. And uh, this one was very promising. We'll see Uh, You know, there's a lot of questions about what, you know, how it would work in trucks and those sorts of things, uh, but definitely a good step.
0: Coming at a key time with all the push for these climate policies and and cleaner air, the question is, does the Biden administration acknowledge the role of biofuels or overlook the role of biofuels in these clean air objectives?
2: Yeah, you know, I think at this point in time, I, I find it uh, nearly impossible for the administration to overlook biofuels. You know, we're getting a lot of uh, the industry itself really outspoken and out front on, on many of these issues as relates to climate. Um, and I, I don't see that that's going to be overlooked by the Biden administration. In fact, I think uh, we've already seen some some signs that perhaps the RFS is going to be something that's uh, highly supported by this by this administration uh it's going to be interesting to see you know with a rewrite or a a reset of the of the of the rfs coming up in 2022 i think that's when we're really going to learn where where this administration goes and i um i i do think that you know the more we hear about higher blends of ethanol you know these studies from nebraska and other things going on i think uh i think we're going to know more as things go on but it's definitely i think early on I'd, i'd say that it's promising
0: Meanwhile, we wait to see, and I'm going to be talking later today with Secretary Vilsack, uh, and I'll be asking him about this, uh, but there's a push by some senators and certainly the biofuels industry for USDA to to help out the biofuels industry with some of the money available.
2: Yeah, you know, and and Mike, it makes some sense. You know, we we saw at the beginning of last year all the shutdown, the economy. uh, Biofuels was hit hard, just like a lot of segments in the economy were. Uh, and it really hasn't fully recovered to this point. You know, we still have production quite a bit below last year's levels uh, at the same time. And, and I think, uh, you know, having Sack at USDA, there is some there is some wiggle room that he has. You know, he can use funds from the Commodity Credit Corporation, uh, you know, and even the CARES Act. I mean, there's still some money available. And I think, uh, you know, the industry has been been quite outspoken on this from the beginning that it needed help. And it's just kind of been... Uh, you know, pushed aside each time. And so uh, we'll see what happens with that. But I do think that uh, we know Bill Vilsack's history. We know where he stands on biofuels in the future of this industry. And I think it's something that uh, he's probably more likely to consider than, than the previous administration did.
0: Meanwhile, Todd, we watch as this uh, $1.9 trillion, the numbers are just staggering, $1.9 <laughs> trillion dollar yeah. stimulus package makes its way through uh, and we'd see what's in it for agriculture everybody kind of looks at what's in it for them so you look at it from an agricultural yeah. viewpoint uh, there are some things in there very helpful including uh, support for broadband
2: yeah absolutely you know and uh, you know we talked too about this past year uh, the hits that rural health care has taken uh, you know the industry, the health industry in the rural america is already uh pretty strapped i mean a lot of threat for for hospitals to continue closing and uh, you know, certainly this pandemic couldn't have helped that. Uh, so there's some in here about about rural health care as well. Uh, and I find it interesting, you know, there's there's also commodity purchases, uh about ten billion dollars appropriated to commodity purchases and some other things, uh, which is something we probably could have used last year when, you know, in the middle of the pandemic. But uh certainly there's some there's some stuff in there that I think uh, can be quite helpful.
0: Hey, at $1.9 trillion, there ought to be something for about everybody.
2: There should be. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh,
0: and one other note, uh, USMCA was hopefully going to address the U.S.-Canadian dairy differences. It didn't solve all of them, right. obviously, and it's still an issue.
2: Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, there's a consideration for the tariff rate quota up in Canada when it comes to dairy, poultry, and eggs. And uh, right now, it doesn't seem that groups here in the United States are too happy about where you know where that's headed. Um, I know they're quite outspoken. You know, U.S. Dairy uh, Export Council, uh, National Milk Producers Federation, and others are really pressing on the Canadians to to live up to their uh, to their commitments under the USMCA. And uh, yeah, it's it's always been one of those issues that's been out there. It's always been hotly contested and. Uh, it never seems to be fully, uh, you know, fully resolved. And so I think, you know, at least we have that agreement in place and maybe, you know, maybe through that agreement uh, something can be uh, done about that. But it's certainly, uh, there's always been a disparity in terms of milk prices and so on that that, uh, really seems to continue to drag on.
0: We'll keep a close watch on that, have much more on it in the days ahead. Todd, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot.
2: All right. Thank you, Mike.
0: DTN reporter, Todd Neely. We'll talk more about some of those biofuels issues a little bit later in the program with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. But up next, we'll talk about the stimulus package. We'll talk about uh, ag labor reform, the H-2A visa program. We'll talk about all that with Chuck Connor, president of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, next on AOA. Atoms on agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
4: DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, What is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com.
5: A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel your fleet can power through. Senex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon Spread Sense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon Spread Sense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more.
6: I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with geeks on site.
1: Our geeks literally come on site. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879.
0: That's 866-967-3879. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's
1: farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: And we're joined now by Chuck Connor, President, National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Chuck, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me on today plenty to talk about what what are your thoughts on the 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus package making its way through congress headed to the president soon um as far as what's in there for agriculture what are your thoughts
7: well mike it's a lot of money
0: <laughs> you know i had worked in yeah.
7: washington for many many years before i even knew sort of what came after a billion dollars and uh you know 1.9 trillion that's just a large amount of money and uh you know, I suppose in some ways there ought to be something in there for everybody, right? Um, yes. Early on in this process, Mike, I had, had come out uh, and NCFC had come out in support of the provisions relating to uh, help for uh, uh, farmers of color, for minority farmers. And, uh, you know, from my years at USDA and just managing a lot of these programs, you know, I think there's, you know, they have experienced many legitimate problems. And, um, you know, I think some help for them was good. I think what what really disappointed me in the end, though, Mike, was just the fact that it was such a partisan uh, operation. You know, so many of us had hoped that perhaps with uh, a divided Congress where really both bodies are almost split right down the middle between Republicans and Democrats and with the president saying, you know, that he wanted to sort of change the ways of Washington and start working together again you know we had hoped maybe things would be different and this isn't a very good start to that just to be honest there was not any republican support for any of this and uh, you know that that's not a a good pathway towards uh, a problem solving bipartisan congress and that's what we had all hoped for so you know let's hope we can move on from this and start that process but it's sure not a very good start to that
0: yeah, there there's a lot in this bill. Unity is not part of it, it seems like. So no, uh, it's not we'll part see w- of it. No. Yeah, we'll see where we go from here. Um but I think it is a fair question to ask and a and has been asked and brought up a fair point. That a lot of the money that's already been appropriated for assistance has not even been spent yet.
7: Well that's correct. I mean we've still got uh uh some some payments to go out to farmers uh, from you know that came about as a result of uh, previous legislation. You know there there is uh, a lot of uh, unspent money in the past and and again these are you know the kinds of issues that get addressed when you you know when you sort of uh, have a bipartisan process and one that. Uh, where both sides sort of have their opportunity to make their case. You know, these are the, that, that's the purpose of, of a bipartisan process is to work through some of these things, and, and it just didn't happen on this bill. And, and again, for many of us on both sides of the aisle working on these issues, it was a disappointment.
0: Yeah. And I guess you can say this with a lot of legislation, but especially something this big, there there, there are good things in it and there's some not so good things in it. And a lot of it comes down to your point of view, your perspective and how it uh, directly impacts you. But it's going to, in one way or another, impact all of us when you're spending that kind of money, that's for sure. Uh, we're talking with Chuck Connor, President of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Chuck, I want to also talk about this effort to address the ag labor issue, uh, to perhaps uh, reform the h2a visa program Uh, we got close on this before it and it didn't get across the finish line now there's another push uh what are your thoughts on where this is at and the importance of getting it done this time well mike we hope
7: 2021 is the year where we can fix this long-standing problem for american agriculture you know we passed a bipartisan bill in the house in 2019 we couldn't get it done in the Senate, and, you know, COVID came along and just made, made it impossible to even, you know, work it uh, in the Senate, if you will. Um, that bill has, that bipartisan bill has been reintroduced in the House. Um, we understand that it perhaps could come up as early as next week uh, to pass again. Our hope is that, again, it passes on a bipartisan basis and then comes over to the Senate where, you know, we can pick up and begin to work um, uh, the members of the Senate on this issue. The um, problem is, is getting worse, Mike, um, it's not getting better, it's getting harder and harder to find labor in American agriculture, and that, that limits our ability to do you know, what we do so well, which is you know, provide reasonably priced food and fiber for you know, the American consumer and many consumers around the planet, and we, we don't want to disrupt that, we don't want to screw that up, and uh, we need this labor reform bill to pass in, in a big way
0: part of the problem in the past is it gets caught up in the overall debate of the immigration issue and and right now we have issues at the border with uh you know so many people surging across the uh the border right now and that's becoming a bigger and bigger issue does with that happening at the same time you're trying to address the h2a visa program do we run that risk again of it all getting bogged down and nothing really getting done We do, Mike. Uh, You know, the timing of all of this
7: is not great for us. I'd be the first to acknowledge that. But I will tell you, my experience too, Mike, has been when you get a chance to sit down with a member of Congress, uh, whether they're relatively new or whether they've been there a long time, and can really explain to them the importance that uh, foreign workers are to producing food in this country, and when you explain to them that in many cases, as much as 60% of the labor force on our farms and ranches today are people who, who don't have legal status to be here, even though they've maybe been working there for 15 or 20 years, when you walk through all of this, most members of Congress that I interact with say, you know, that's a problem. And, you know, we've got a great food system in this country, and we don't want to screw it up, so how can I help? And, you know, that that's... That's what we always come back to is, is, you know, preserving, you know, this wonderful food producing machine that we've got in this country through our farmers and ranchers. And even in, you know, difficult circumstances and this border crisis is not helping us, but, but we still continue to press on this and get a favorable reception because of, of what we do for the American consumer and consumers all over.
0: So getting back to what we talked about earlier and the lack of unity and the lack of bipartisanship, this is an issue that should have bipartisan support to get done.
7: It always has. Uh, We passed a bill out of the Senate in 2013, and that was a very bipartisan bill. We didn't get it through the House that year. As I said earlier, the 2019 bill in the House was very bipartisan. Um, So, yeah, we we know that this has got to be a bipartisan effort uh, in order to have any chance at
8: passage uh,
7: you know, that's why these, you know, partisan uh, debates over things like uh, the COVID relief package are troubling to us because, we you know, we our strength is we bring a lot of bipartisan support to this debate. A lot of people want to fix this in behalf of the farmer and rancher in this country that, you know, go through so much already with weather perils and everything else. We don't need labor to be one of their you know, uncertainties. And, and again, most people recognize that. And, and we can solve this, I think, in a very bipartisan way if we are given the opportunity.
0: Chuck, given your long history in Washington and, and USDA and, and dealing on various issues over the years, you you've been a part of a lot of Farm Bill writings. What do you think it's going to be like in writing this next Farm Bill?
7: Well, I think we're going to get an early start, Mike, for one thing. I mean, the, the, you know, the legislation doesn't expire until 2023, but I'm, I'm fully expecting, uh, you know, some initial Farm Bill groundwork to be laid this year, and, and I think 2022 is going to be a very active uh, Farm Bill year for us just because there's a sense, Mike, that perhaps the 2023 Farm Bill is going to be one of those kind of watershed bills, much like was the case in perhaps 1985, um, which was one of the one of the first ones that I worked on, and 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 then of course the '96 bill, and that uh, with a watershed farm bill, you better get out of the chute early uh, because it's it's going to require a lot of debate, a lot of wrangling, a lot of uh, you know intense uh, discussions, and uh, you know you can't wait till the last minute to, to debate a farm bill that uh, is one of those watershed ones, and most people think it's a watershed debate where we're going to have a fundamental discussion of, you know, really the future direction of farm policy.
0: And as it's often been pointed out, there are more people wanting a seat at the table and, and that's probably a good thing because it, it impacts everybody. But at some point you keep getting a bigger table and a bigger room. And uh, sometimes it's hard then to get your voice heard, even if you're at the table, because there's so many other voices.
7: That's, it's, it's uh, so true. I think, you know, everyone wants to have a, uh, uh, part of the, be part of the discussion on farm bills now. And it used to be a, a relatively small group. Uh, today, it's a much bigger group. You know, we've got new members on the Senate Agriculture Committee who, who uh, are on that committee for different reasons other than, you know, the traditional farm programs and price supports for farmers. And, you know, they've got to have their say. And it's, it's just going to be very different. And that's why we need to get an early start at it.
0: All right, Chuck, always good to talk with you. Appreciate your perspective. Thank you very much. You bet. Take care, Mike. Chuck Conner, president of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. As we said at the outset, a lot of biofuels news to talk about, uh, a lot of things going on in this country and in other countries. We'll talk about it with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Join us every Tuesday for a Round the Table brought to you by CHS where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you Choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
9: You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Grain markets are mixed with lower row crops and mostly higher wheat contracts ahead of the March WASDE report. The grain space has been especially erratic lately, which could change once the USDA gets their latest predictions out of the way. On the Board of Trade, May corn trading four and three quarters lower at 5.42 and a half cent. The July contract down four and three quarters at 5.31 and a quarter. For soybeans, the May contract down three and a Fraction at 14.30 and three quarters. The July contract down three cents at 14.15 and a fraction. For the wheats, Chicago wheat May up six and three quarters at 6.53. Kansas City wheat May up a penny at 6.22 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat May up three and three quarters at 6.45 and a half cent. The July contract up three and a half cent at 6.51 and three quarters. The strength of livestock futures showed the resiliency of the market. However, cash cattle may have a difficult time seeing higher prices unless box B prices perform better than they have recently. In cash cattle country, some early asking prices are starting out at $116 per hundredweight in the south but have yet to be established in the north. Significant trade volume will likely be delayed until the second half of this week. Hogs continue to show surprising strength with Packers bidding actively for hogs. For lean hog futures, the April contract trading a dollar 2 higher at 8832, the May contract up a dollar at 9067. For feeders, the March contract up a dollar at $136.35. the April contract up a dollar 10 at 77 For live cattle, April up 57 at 11992, the June contract up 45 at 11960. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 172 points, the NASDAQ composite up 421, the S&P 500 up 60, the U.S. dollar index is trending lower. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall.
10: As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end, but good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
0: Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn.
1: information America's farmers and ranchers need to know.
0: Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Joined now by Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, I, I mentioned earlier uh, the history of the ethanol industry. I, I've covered it since the, the 70s when we called it gas-a-haul, and your industry has had tremendous peaks and valleys over the years. Uh, last year, of course, a lot of valleys because of the <laughs> pandemic and a lot of other issues. But now there, there's some signs of things pointing upwards again, some some positive news happening. And when to get to some of that, uh, let's start with exports. We're, we're moving some ethanol uh, to other parts of the world, aren't we?
8: Yeah, we absolutely are, Mike. And and, uh, you know, so far, 2021 has been a great year uh, for exports. We've we've really started with the boom this year. We saw 165 million gallons of exports in January. That's the highest ever for the month of January. Um, we've seen shipments going to India, uh, Canada, have been a, you know, it's been a big market, but also China and Brazil. And th- what's notable there is, you know, China still has a 30% tariff on U.S. ethanol coming in, and Brazil now has a 20% tariff on all gallons coming in from the U.S. So we sent nearly 40 million gallons to those two countries in January, and now we're t- told that there's three more boats on the water headed for China. Um, so I, I, you know, I just think that really speaks to the cost competitiveness, speaks to the value of, of U.S.-produced ethanol, that we're able to get into those markets even with these, these uh, trade barriers uh, and compete with their domestic product.
0: And we had started seeing these positive export signs before the pandemic had hit. So it's good to see that they're they're coming back.
8: Yeah, that's right. I mean, we really have seen, uh, you know, uh, sort of a return to business as usual or, or you know, business better than usual uh, here in the last few months. And and we did have, you know, we really did hit the pause button on our exports during the pandemic. Uh, but even even with the pandemic, we saw fairly strong exports for 2020. All things considered, it was our fourth highest volume of exports ever. Um, yeah, we were down compared to 2019, but everything was down compared to 2019, and actually our exports weren't off as much as domestic consumption was in 2020. So that we we saw that as a good sign, and, and sure enough, we've started this year uh, very strong with exports, and and see that as a great sign. Now, you know, the the the, the issue with exports, is we know, it's a fickle. Market, especially when you're dealing with China, um, we know it's highly volatile. So we need to obviously continue building demand domestically and and in other countries. Uh, but nonetheless, this is good news, and and we'll take it when we can get it.
0: Let's look to Canada and proposed rules for their clean air and, and fuels uh, standards. There, uh, tell us about what's proposed and and why you think this would be good. Sure.
8: Uh, yeah, so Canada last year, I, I guess it was December, uh, finally proposed new regulations for a what they're calling a clean fuel program, clean fuel regulations. Um, and so then they they invited the the public to comment on those proposals and and send in feedback and and input. Uh, and the deadline for that was last week. So we sent in some comments with some of the other uh, U.S. Groups and, you know, we're very supportive of what they're doing in Canada. They've got a proposed regulation that is somewhat modeled after what California has done in terms of their low carbon fuel standard, uh, where they're really the objective is to reduce the carbon emissions associated with transportation fuels, uh, but they sort of leave it up to the market on how to do that. What's the best and, and most economical way to do that? And we think in a truly, you know, fuel neutral sort of policy like that, one that isn't picking winners and losers, and one that isn't tipping the scales towards electric vehicles, we think ethanol is going to compete very well. So uh, we did respond favorably to the Canadian government on that proposal. Uh, There's still a lot of details to be hammered out, uh, so we'll be keeping a close eye on that. But overall, it looks like a, a, a good program is taking shape in Canada, and we think our Congress probably ought to be you know, paying attention to what the Canadians are doing and and should be considering a similar program here
0: in the u s we're talking with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Now state of Nebraska has run a test on e thirty with very good results
8: yeah, they did and and just yesterday Governor Ricketts uh, rolled out the results of of that trial. Um, they actually logged over three hundred thousand miles. 300,000 miles on E-30 in non-flex fuel vehicles, and these are state vehicles, state fleet vehicles. A lot of them were state uh, highway patrol vehicles and just other state government services vehicles, 300,000 miles on E-30, and, and what they found is no observable uh, difference, no reported difference in the performance of those vehicles. Uh, they did not find any any significant difference in fuel economy, and, of course, that's always the big you know, hit that we take with, with ethanol blends that, oh, as you increase the ethanol content, you're going to lose mileage. Well, they didn't see that in this trial, uh, and they also saw significant reductions of uh, carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide emissions from the tailpipe. So quite a significant study. Now, they had to get a special waiver, special approval from EPA to use E30 in these vehicles, but I think it really does show um, that the automakers and EPA um, ought to be moving forward with approving the use of higher-level blends above E15 in conventional non-flex-fuel vehicles. There's really no
0: reason not to. Hopefully the Biden administration takes note of this.
8: Well, yeah, that is our hope. And, and again, if, if they are interested in reducing greenhouse gas emissions from transportation, which they are, this is the fastest way to do it. The the, the the fastest and and cheapest way to do it is to increase the ethanol content of our gasoline. It's it's really that simple. Um, now, you know, we talk about electric vehicles and and you know, getting to net zero emissions by 2050 and 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 all these things long term, but we could we could make a significant down payment on reducing emissions today simply by going from E-10 to E-15 nationwide, and then quickly on to E-20, E-30.
0: Jeff, with all the talk now about this $1.9 trillion stimulus package, uh, I know you're focused on some funds still available to USDA to use now that they could help the biofuels industry with, and I, hope, and I know you're hoping they will.
8: Yeah, we, we are still hoping they will. And and just yesterday, Mike, uh, 10 senators, led by Senators Grassley and Klobuchar, sent a letter to Secretary Vilsack asking him to make sure that ethanol producers are at the top of the list as he begins to think about how to distribute those remaining um, COVID emergency relief funds that are still sitting at USDA. And you're right, there's still something close to $15 billion sitting there yet to be deployed. Uh, You know, revenue losses keep piling up for our industry. We know that Uh, We're we're easily north of $5 billion in lost gross revenues over the past 12 months. Production is still well below pre-pandemic levels. Margins are still ugly. We still have a fair number of plants that are idled or scaled back. So there, there remains a need in the ethanol industry for some help. And without some help, some of these facilities probably aren't going to survive. Even though we are seeing some positive developments in the export market, in Canada, things that we talked about, um the the market is still pretty rough out there. And you know, we saw one of our member plants, Ingredion, in Cedar Rapids, uh permanently close its doors late last year and you know, we're afraid that, that others could follow if we don't have some kind of help. Uh and and you know, USDA is best positioned to provide that.
0: We're still waiting for Michael Regan to be confirmed as EPA administrator, but in the meanwhile uh Anything happening happening on the legal front on as far as the cases concerning the RFS?
8: Well, Mike, we're we're sort of in a, you know a holding pattern on the Supreme Court case. Uh, we're still expecting oral arguments in April, uh, and and then some sort of decision in July. Uh, you know, the the biggest development I think you and I have already talked about this was EPA a few weeks ago reversing course on its position on small refinery exemptions and and you know finally agreeing with us and agreeing with the Tenth Circuit Court that the previous EPA leadership had acted illegally and and had abused its authority in granting all those exemptions so uh, that was obviously a very positive development so we think we have some momentum heading into the Supreme Court uh, deliberations Um, but you know nothing new and we're all just kind of um, anxiously awaiting uh, uh the supreme court to pick that up and, and and hear the
0: case yeah so that's the, the case that just keeps on going and hopefully we'll get some resolution <laughs> resolution on it soon uh, another big boost this year when we look ahead for the ethno industry and for the country if if as things start opening back up more people getting vaccinated uh, hopefully it's going to be more people driving more demand for fuel right. and that would be a huge boost for the industry
8: well, it, it really would, and, and we are beginning to see that uh, regionally. In, in places where COVID cases are really dropping and, and where vaccination rates are increasing, we're already seeing some signs of, of sort of a rebound in, in driving demand and, and gasoline consumption. Uh, so we do really believe that as that spreads nationwide and we get people fully vaccinated and we have herd immunity, um, you know, and, and we have schools all back open and things like that, I, we are going to see a rebound in, in fuel consumption. I, I am certain of that. Um, and we're going to be ready for that. Uh, you know, and again, that's, that's where some assistance from USDA would be helpful to make sure that our plants are in a position to react quickly and start buying corn, start grinding corn immediately uh, when demand really turns a corner and, and things pick back up. We think we're hopefully not too far off from that. We think uh, as we head into the summer, uh, we're quite optimistic about maybe things returning to the sort of pre-pandemic levels of demand that, that uh, we were we were used to.
0: All right, Jeff, good to talk with you as always. Thanks a lot. All right, thank you, Mike. Take care. Je- Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel, Synex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess
6: around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death.
4: For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life but there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it, but only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today.
3: For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at DTNPF. Dot com backslash field posts.
0: This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And this week, we are joined by Ken Erickson, Senior Vice President at IHS Market, to discuss supply and demand trends as we head into planting season. All right, Ken, a lot of expectations for this 2021 crop, a lot of speculation about what acres will be Still time to make some adjustments. What should farmers be considering, you think?
11: It's certainly a lot to be considered this year. Obviously with what's um, gone on around the world, we've drawn down supplies and that certainly uh, brought in a, a position of much usage of grains and soybeans. And for farmers, that means the US has been in a situation of running out of soybeans. We're drawing down our corn, And now the idea that you need to have yet bigger crops and we're going to see that with our thought process here at IHS Market of record corn plus soybean planting area uh, you know, that's just going to be needing to make every bit of the acreage that's going to be planted work this next year.
0: Now, Ken, you'll be part of a roundtable discussion on pre-plant decisions coming up on March 18th. Tell us more about what you'll be covering in that.
11: Yeah, that's going to be a great program with CHS and their team. Uh, We're going to be talking a bit about the policy that's going to be taking place and and talking about uh, the different crops, especially the corns, soybeans, wheat dynamics, and what we're seeing develop at that time. And when that program comes out, we'll have our next tranche and looking at uh, plantings for this uh, spring, Uh, head of USDA's planting intentions at the end of March.
0: That's Ken Erickson, Senior Vice President at IHS Market. Thanks for joining us around the table. To hear more from Ken and CHS experts, join Around the Table Live, the final look before spring planting on March 18th at noon Central Time. Learn more and register at CooperativeOwnership.com. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. With Sinex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
0: As we continue to look at the future of agriculture and developing technology and different ways of uh, approaching issues, we're joined now by Lauren Trimble, North America Head of Product Development Hybrid Breeding for bear. Lauren, thanks for joining us. Let's, let's talk about data. There's so much talk about, you know, collection of data, how to use data. How does data help drive the future of breeding for bear?
12: Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, happy to be here today and, and appreciate the first question. You know, uh, in the breeding organization here where we're um, focused on creating new products, um, you know, we, we have to focus on, on the data. Um, there's a lot of different aspects. Uh, one of them is, is certainly around data quality. Um, the more accurate our data is, uh, the better we are at creating those, those new products and, and uh, developing um, great insights on uh, the data that we have, uh, but the other side of that is, of course, uh, is, is how much data we can collect, can collect. Uh, having a, a bigger data sets allow our analytics to be more powerful, and that's something that uh, we certainly have the capability of doing here at uh, Bear Crop Science.
0: Well, tell us how Bear is using this data-driven approach to help farmers achieve their goals. Again,
12: great question. You know what? What I get really excited about uh, here is is uh, uh, what we talk about as tailored solutions. You know, um, when we consider what our customers need, what our farmers need to be successful, it's a multi-dimensional uh, consideration. Um, at Bayer Crop Science, we can offer seeds and traits, we can offer crop protection, we can offer digital ag, and when you have all three of those things coming together, we call that our tailored solutions platform. And in our R&D organization, the way that this is connected is through our data. Um, it's a, it's the data that allows our systems to communicate, and it also is what allows our, our products to be better fit for our customer success. We believe that uh, by connecting the data from and the information that we know about our seeds and traits to uh, our digital ag platform, that allows our, our products to actually uh, hit the marketplace um, with a better knowledge package that allows us to have more confidence, allows our customers to have more pro- uh, confidence in our products.
0: This has been evolving over a period of time now. How how has data management and data use evolved for you at Bear over the years?
12: You know, we've seen a lot of changes in, in how we think about data um, at, at Bear Crop Science, especially in the breeding organization. You know, here we are... Um, uh, we are all about creating new uh, seed uh, products. We're about improving genetics, and one of the most important ways to do that is by collecting our uh, our, our data in the field. Um, our field platform used to be really a manual process. We had a, a big labor force. They were uh, going to the field, collecting data by hand. There's a lot of variability when you did that. Um, what we've been able to transition to and how we think about data today uh, one of the things that we've been able to transition to is taking and collecting more data with imaging now at first that's just a catchy idea and cool new technology but what we have the power to do is actually change the insights and um, make better decisions on our breeding pipeline to create new products based on taking more uh, data from the field and being able to use imaging about uh, different growth stages, about different uh, uh, traits that are important to our customers when we create those new products. So data has changed quite a bit from kind of a manual process to now uh, how we start to use uh, more technology and more innovation to help support collection of the data, but also to uh, improve the insights that we make on that data that comes into our systems.
0: So with all this data available, what type of data is most useful? There's
12: a couple of different components here. You know, it's hard for me to say which one is my favorite. Um, I'm a a breeder by training, of course, but, uh, um, you know, that leads me to want to say that uh, genetic data is the most important. Um, But I know that uh, in the hands of our customer, the information that is coming from their uh, farm is going to be the most important data to them, and that's why our field data and our, our environmental characterization has really taken the next step in, in information in our uh, in our programs and in how we create new products. Um, you know, we have to be much better at representing our uh, customers' fields, um, not only in an individual season for an individual hybrid or variety, uh, but actually how that. How can we uh, improve the stability of the performance and uh, the the product confidence for those uh, uh, new products that are coming through the pipeline? And the closeness to the customer is something that we are really prioritizing um, in, in the data that we're getting and, and the type of data that we're using to make better decisions in our breeding uh, in our breeding programs.
0: Okay, Lauren. Bottom line, with this emphasis on climate issues that we're seeing. How does Bear's approach to data management help farmers from both an economic and a sustainability standpoint?
12: Also, a great question. You know, what I'd like to do is take the opportunity to point uh, our listeners, the audience today, to bearcropscience.com. There's a lot of great information there about what I've talked about, but also about our sustainability initiatives. Um, for sure, at Bear Crop Science, uh, we are uh, wanting to lead the sustainability conversation. Um, It's really exciting uh, place. Um, And one of the things that I believe separates us in the industry is that we are not just interested in uh, sustainability from a corporate perspective, but we're interested in it from a customer perspective. We want to make sure that uh, the developing marketplace and and the opportunity for agriculture to be a leader in sustainable solutions a sustainable marketplace is is something that we have the ability to do as an industry and we want to be active members in that. Um, Data is an important part of how we do that and and this is a fastly evolving space and and collecting new types of data is something that we're looking at doing uh, every day to make sure that uh, we can be successful and our customers can be successful in uh, the future of agriculture.
0: That's Lauren Trimble, North America Head of Product Development, Hybrid Breeding for Bear. Thanks, Lauren. That wraps it up for today. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Cinex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.
5: A cold front can slow the world to a crawl. But with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Senex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
1: Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.